HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Maine Crisp, gluten-free fruit and nut crackers made with simple and natural ingredients. Learn more at mainecrisp.com. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview an inspiring woman who I look up to, who is in this world making changes and doing really great work. And today, I am so excited to have as my guest someone who has made vegan soul food the talk of New York City and the nation. And my guest is Shanari Friedman. Shanari, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm honored. Thank you. I had the delicious delight of eating at your restaurant. And I was astonished because I eat vegan sometimes, but the idea of eating vegan through a soul food lens, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to see how this comes out. And needless to say, we're here today because I'm like, wow, she's a miracle worker. I just want to start from the, the beginning because I know that sometimes it feels like to the outside world, success is overnight. Right. Like all of a sudden you turn up on 7th Street and you have this opportunity and boom. But actually, from what I read and understand, you have been really devoting yourself to healing practices and therapeutic notions for a long, long time. So I think it might begin with Howard University, but it might begin earlier. So can you just tell me about how your interest in, you know, healing and food originally began? I've been cooking for about 10 years on and off. My first introduction to vegan food was actually in, I believe, 2011. I was working at a concert venue in D.C. called the 930 Club, and I was working in the kitchen there. So I would always have to make things that I had never heard of. Like I would make like vegan chili. I would make hummus. I don't think I, I had hummus before then, like tapenade, all types of cool things. So that was my first introduction to it. And to me, it was just a job. And then kind of fast forward, I think maybe like four or five years later, I transitioned over to a plant-based diet. And that really kind of inspired me to, I guess, like take it a bit more serious and educate myself on like the body and like how food has chemical reactions and 
about like the products I'm using from like my hair, my skin, uh, my body, and also how food affects those things as well. So when you were at the 930 Club, which I, I love that this person who is now, you know, lauded for their soul food had a lot to do with music and entertainment and food was just a piece of it. And then you've named your restaurant Cadence, which has a great connection to music. Has music played a large role or did you end up at the club because you're kind of looking for a great job? Music's always been like a major part of my life. You know, along with cooking for 10 years, I was also in the music industry, which a lot of people know, but also a lot of people that I'm just now meeting, they aren't aware of. So I've done probably over a thousand concerts between cooking, tabling, doing a little bit of PR and promotion, street teamwork. And then my last job in the music industry was actually a production manager. So I was the liaison between like bands and the concert venue and I would help put together concert shows um, in D.C. So it also kind of ties into the music program we have at Cadence. People are always like, oh, my God, the music, like the music, the music, the music. When you think about like your work as a music producer and, you know, working in all those venues, like you're now working in a place that inside I think has 16 seats outside of course you have a bit more but like what did you learn from all that time that you've now applied aside from having a really great soundtrack all the work that I've done this far like it all ties in together to wherever I go in life so all the skills that I've acquired from like other jobs in like the music industry and also the restaurant industry like there's no skill that doesn't get put to use and doesn't get put to test even just basic things like customer service skills or learning how to deal with people from like different backgrounds or different industries so I'm very grateful for like every job that I've ever had because I can always learn something from it and take it and apply it to um, whatever else I'm doing in life. A lot of the recipes at Katie's are super creative and I understand that you had a direct dial to your mom. Tell me about growing up in Richmond, Virginia and the food you grew up with. I grew up eating a lot of things that I don't eat today. I'll just say that. It was like very meat heavy, like pork chops, uh, chitlins, <laughs> pig feet, pigtail. We do a lot of oysters in Virginia as well because that's what we're known for thanks to the Chesapeake Bay. A lot of soul food as well. So a lot of mac and cheese, greens, potato salad, black eyed peas, baked beans, all types of things. Um, eating these foods over time, like I never really thought of the effects that it would have on our bodies until I kind of like transitioned my diet and started to really examine everything. But as far as her role with this menu and cadence, I would always kind of pick her brain like, what do you think I should make? Or like, how do I cook this? Or how do I make your stewed tomatoes? Or how do I make grandma's black eyed peas? Or like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I think it's very common for people to not pass down recipes or have them written down somewhere. And, you know, sometimes a lot of us wait until it's too late. So I wanted to kind of take this opportunity to connect those dots and get a little bit closer to my family and see who's who and like, who's been doing what in the kitchen for all of these years. Oh, what did you learn? It's sort of like family biography, you know, by pots and pans. So I've learned like a lot of family recipes, uh, like my mom's potato salad. I've learned how to like 
properly clean collard greens with like sugar, which is how my grandmother would do it. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that. It breaks down the cells so that it's not quite as tough. It, it kind of like uh, helps remove like the dirt and it also plays like a role in the bitterness. So it helps like take away some of the bitterness, uh, little family secrets that they don't teach in the culinary school. I've also learned how to garden, ironically. Um, that's something that I kind of picked up over quarantine last year. So my mom helped me with that as well. I understand that some of the motivation for rethinking the soul food or some of the foods that you grew up with was there were some health problems in your family or health issues that you wanted to think about. And was that indeed part of the rethinking from, you know, animal fats to no animal, animal products? Of course. Um, and I don't even think it's necessarily something that's like limited to my family. Like it's everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, I, I go outside and I see it. Um, it's in my neighborhoods, it's in my communities. It's kind of like in my face and something that I can't avoid at this point. So, you know, even if it's people making like small changes or me introducing like small alternatives that could, you know, improve someone's life. That's kind of what my platform and my world is about, just like educating people. Like, hey, like you don't have to use like white processed sugar. Maybe we'll do agave or like maybe we'll do uh, maple crystals, something that's like not processed and like a natural remedy. That way, you know, we're not dealing with high cholesterol and like blood pressure and um, all the other things and like diseases and illnesses that come from the food that we're digesting. We need more of that in the, in the world. I'm interested in some of the holistic healing that you studied. You said that there was a great like a loss of a significant other that in fact catapulted you into looking at health in a different way. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that. So I lost my partner about, I think it's been about three years now. And, you know, like during this time, obviously like I was losing my mind, like I didn't really know what to do or like what path to take because it was a tragic accident that happened while we were on, on vacation. But I just chose to kind of like, I guess, take like a holistic route to my healing. And, you know, like before he passed, we were actually trying to figure out like, hey, like you should apply to culinary school. And he actually wrote, <laughs> he wrote my culinary school um, essay or something like that, which I ended up getting in. So I think a lot of things were aligning for me at that time. And, you know, I had to really do a lot of like soul searching for myself and healing myself through food, healing myself through like meditation, like yoga, and just doing all the things that we used to do together and kind of like continuing the journey that we started together. But I think me getting into culinary school and getting like a full scholarship, that was truly my calling. Like, okay, I started this thing with him. This is like the last thing we kind of like did together. So I really want to take that and like, let it be my motivation. So I guess like he's been my motivation, like this whole entire time. And I'm super grateful for all the things that I've learned through him because he was also plant-based and like into holistic uh, remedies and methods. And I learned most of the things that I know today from him. So I've just like been applying all those things and like sharing the knowledge that I've acquired over that time. That sounds devastating. I can't imagine an accident on vacation and someone who's been such a central part of your life then just gone without warning and you're left with, how do I move forward? 
it took like a lot of strength, but like, thankfully I had like a super strong support system. My mom immediately flew out the next day to support me. I have like amazing friends and my circle and my tribe kind of like shielded me. When I finally came back to DC, I, I didn't work for three months, but I had friends that like raised money for me to like pay for my rent. My job was super understanding. I'm like forever thankful and just grateful for like the people in my life that look out for me. Yeah, there's something about when people show up, it does change your worldview. You know, the idea of taking care of each other and supporting each other just is so profound. And then the power that has to move you forward is kind of incredible. So I think that there were people who you studied with and I wanted to learn more about them or you studied their works. I think probably the most well-known is Dr. Savi. He practices like health and wellness um, and just kind of educating people of color about wellness routines and nutrition and like foods that can kind of help cure diseases just through like eating food. So he's been like a really big part of my studies. Also Dr. Layla Africa, he does like more lectures. He has like a lot of books as well that will like give you like tips and tricks to life. And then Queen Afua, she focuses on women's health. And she has two sons. They focus on like men's health, but her main focus is focusing on the womb, focusing on like essential oils and like herbal baths and things that can kind of like help our reproductive system. You'd be so surprised like how herbs work. And they're really powerful and they're really strong. And they have like so many healing remedies that I think people should kind of tap into. I think that we have so much more ahead of us. Like it's just cracking the surface. All the things that herbs can do for us. And I'm newly, deeply, and perhaps late to the party, but interested in the the power of mushrooms. And I had no idea that mushrooms actually support the entire universe. So, um, So you got into culinary school, you went to ICE, and you were studying many of the themes that have interested you that we've talked about. What was the most important thing about the studies there? I've never really studied food like this before, or I've never really been taught. I've never taken like a cooking class. I've never watched cooking shows. (laughs) I didn't own a cookbook before (laughs) culinary school. So pretty much everything that I learned was new to me. And I was very open to all of it. Like I was very excited and just motivated for every class because I knew that I was going to be learning something new that was going to change my life for the rest of tomorrow's, you know? So, okay, wait, I have to ask you, no cookbook, no cooking class, no anything. And you're like, yeah, I'd like to be a chef, I think. And I'm going to go to culinary school. And obviously you had worked in restaurants. What? Um, I know that you were, you were saying you and your partner were talking about like maybe culinary was the path, but really I'm missing a connection here. And so before I like went to culinary school, I was doing these dinner parties in DC. I did three, I believe. I think I would do like five or seven courses for like $30, which is so cheap. Oh my goodness. Um, but I did it for like, I think 35 to 45 people and each one sold out. And that was just kind of me testing the water. It's like, let me see what the reaction to my food is. Like, can I actually cook or are my friends just like being nice? And people were just like blown away by my food. So I think that was like the true staple, like, okay, People like my food. I can kind of cook. I'm a little rusty. Like I might need to like figure out plating and like 
a little bit more like food science. So I think that was also like an extra push for culinary school. And it seems like you learned those skills, but you also got more training on the healthy side of things. Yes. So the program is Health Supportive Culinary Arts. It is about, I would say, 90% plant forward and vegan. We had, I think, one chicken class, one fish class, and one egg class. But outside of that, the, I think it's 632 hours, everything else was vegan. You know, we had to do everything. If you needed a uh, lemon juice, you're squeezing lemons. Um, if you needed minced garlic, you're mincing the garlic. Um, so there were no shortcuts. Um, and, you know, just looking back, like you really appreciate those moments and you really appreciate like learning the proper techniques and kind of like taking this time to potentially cook things that you'll never make again. This episode is brought to you by Maine Crisp, gluten-free fruit and nut crackers made with simple, natural ingredients. It all began with buckwheat. I am obsessed with buckwheat because my husband, Barkley, is now gluten-free, but buckwheat is the way to go. The company's founders, Karen and Steve Getz, added nuts and seeds and dried fruits and baked them into this incredibly delicious, easy-to-enjoy crisp. Their friends loved them, their family loved them, everyone craved them. Why? Because they've got this unexpected flavor and chewy meets crispy texture. They're a family-owned and operated business and they work with their local community and farmers to celebrate everything that has to do with Maine. And as you guys all know, I'm obsessed with Maine. So when they're thinking about what to make with these crisps, it's their tartary buckwheat with pure maple syrup they were thinking about health and flavor that they wanted everyone to share and enjoy. Because snack time is your time, you gotta check out these crisps. Learn more at maincrisp.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Speaking Broadly. This is Dana Cowan, and my guest today is Shinari Freeman. Shinari, I'm so excited to talk a little bit more about the amazing food at Cadence. Everyone seems to have their favorite dish. Your menu's small, and I love the fact that it's just not one thing that makes people go there. Although I think that the fried lasagna might be at the top of the list. What do you think? Like, what do you find is your customer's favorite of all? I think it's like always changing. I think the fried lasagna is probably the most innovative and futuristic. <laughs> it's something that I think even if people don't order it, they're like, oh, I've never heard of fried lasagna. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. But everyone, like you mentioned, has their favorites. The pancake is pretty up there. The palm cake, the cornbread, um, the buffalo oyster mushroom just depends on the person. Well, let's talk about the lasagna because anyone who's listening might think that, oh, it's like flat, and <laughs> but it's not. Um, part of what makes it amazing is like the visual. So I'd love to know how you arrived at that dish and describe what it looks like. This uh, dish, the lasagna, it is, I guess, like an ode to my mom. It's something that my mom would always make for us, me and my brother, when we were younger. And like, it's just always going to be a part of me. So I wanted to have lasagna on the menu, but me and Ravi, the owner of Overthrow Hospitality, uh, we kind of like went back and forth about it because he couldn't 
understand how it was a soul food dish. And I had to kind of like explain to him, with lasagna, it's something that like a lot of Black families and households adopted the same way the U.S. adopted pizza or something like that. But, you know, when it came down to like plating and serving it, like it wasn't really like appealing or it wasn't enough, you know, and Robbie really helped me out with this menu and like really helped push me to the next level. Like, oh, this is good. But like, I think you can do better. Let's let's see what else you can come up with. And then one day we're like, hey, like, let's try to fry it. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, just fry it. And I'm like, well, how? He's like, I don't know, figure it out. I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to fry it, like I, it needs to be rolled. So I rolled it. And it, it just came apart. It was terrible. Um, so then I added, I think I added like the pine nut ricotta and I'm like, okay, so this can be like a cheese layer. And then I added like the bolognese. And after that, I rolled it, I breaded it a couple of different ways. And I probably made this like 50 times before it is what it is today. But eventually we landed on rolling it just like a lasagna sheet with a layer of pine nut ricotta. There's a layer of bolognese on there. You let it set for a little bit in the fridge so that it's like firm. And then we add all-purpose flour followed by some almond milk and some panko breadcrumbs. And after that, we deep fry it for a little bit and put some tomato sauce under it and serve it. Apparently it has taken (laughs) this city by the storm (laughs) because everyone's freaking out. It's so satisfying. Uh, when I saw something fried on the menu and you were talking about healthy food, how do you feel about fried foods? I don't think I've fried anything at home since I've been vegan, to be honest. But, you know, I also do understand, like, paying homage to my culture and also, like, you know, following certain traditions. And I'm also open to, like, compromising with a lot of things. So like originally I didn't want anything fried on the menu and that didn't go over too well. So <laughs> I had to kind of like compromise on some of those things. But I guess like my thing with Cadence, like it is an experience and it's an experience that people aren't having every single day. People aren't eating like fried lasagna every single day or people aren't eating like the fried palm cakes every single day. So I think with Cadence and this concept, it's all about moderation, which is how I approach food in general. And you have a a really powerful partnership there with Robbie from Overthrow Hospitality. Tell me more about that partnership, because he seems extraordinary. Like he has taken on the idea of vegan and then taken over the street. He's given you a platform to share your point of view. What's that like working with him? You know, I've just never been in a position like this where somebody kind of took a chance and given me an opportunity to have like so much creative freedom in like space. You know, he has a vision, but he's also open to other people's like inputs and outputs as well. Like I'm just like shocked. (laughs) I'm just like, wow, like you really you really let me run a restaurant. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) Well, I think that um, during the pandemic, you were working at a restaurant in Times Square that cut your hours and you just had like less time and you just couldn't afford it. And so I I was curious, the transition from PS Kitchen, which was a Times Square, to Robbie, like, how did he find you? What were you doing? I think it was by fate. Um, so I, I think I stopped working at PS Kitchen February of the pandemic. I had already been a huge fan of uh, Lady Bird and Avant Garden. Like, I was already 
going to those restaurants like well before I had any interest in working there. Uh, Lady Bird and Avant Garden are part of Overthrow Hospitality as well. I think when restaurants had opened back up that July, I went to one of the restaurants. I went to Lady Bird with a friend. You know, we're just eating. And my friend actually like pitched me. She was, she was talking to the manager on the shift at the time. She's like, hey, my girl's a vegan chef. You guys need to hire her right now. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, you know, put an application. Like, let's see what happens. Um, so I applied and I think like within a day or so, like I got like an email back. It was like, oh, your resume looks great. I don't have a chef position, but I have a manager position at Avant Garden. Would you be interested? And I wasn't working at the time. So I'm like, oh, okay, if I get my foot in the door, maybe something magical will happen. So I started like, you know, training for management. And I think it was a timing thing because ironically, the space where Cadence is now became available. That's kind of like how Robbie introduced the space to me. Like, oh, I have this space. Would you be interested in doing a concept? Uh, yes. Like, <laughs> what do you think? And it was kind of on the spot. What concept would you like to do? I was like, you know, like I'm a huge fan of your your restaurants. I noticed you don't have any vegan soul food. And I also noticed there's none in the city. Let's give it a shot. From there, the tasting started. Yeah, I was just working on menu development and recipe development for eight months. So I had a lot of time to like perfect this menu. I think people can taste it in the food, like the preparation and like the love behind it. I really put my all into it. It's interesting to me because during the time that you were unemployed, you actually got to spend some time reflecting because you weren't so go, go, go. And I'm wondering, like, what the result of those reflections were. Like, is there anything that changed the way that you were thinking about your direction or what you wanted to do when you had that quiet time? Yes, actually, like, I think when the pandemic first hit, I was like, I'm done with restaurants. But I also told myself, I'm like, I kind of want an executive chef title under my belt before I like leave this industry. So I unknowingly was manifesting a lot of things that are happening today. And I started just kind of like setting these goals for myself. I really spent all of those months just working on my craft. I was cooking like a mad woman. Like I had a little cooking show where I would go on Instagram live with like friends, like some were chefs, some were like my friends in like Japan and Dubai and like London and Germany. I would just casually be on there and we'd be like cooking up a meal and catching up. And I think that kind of like built up my following a little bit. So I was doing a lot of that. I was doing like a lot of gardening. I had time to kind of like scope out my community a bit more as well. Like I didn't realize I had a community garden one block over. I started buying like weekly produce from my garden and kind of like telling other people about it as well. Like, hey guys, like you can get a food box for 15 bucks and there's like oyster mushrooms and like all types of like organic produce and stuff. I think like most people, I spent a lot of my time on the internet, but I was actually like networking and like teaching people about like herbs and like certain remedies to like help people out telling people kind of like how to improve your immune system naturally, like oregano oil, elderberry syrup. So I was just giving out free game, I guess, just like helping so many people. Um, I love the fact that you didn't panic. You got to explore things during that time. A question in my mind is um, you're taking food that is known for the animal fats and somehow you've like rethought it. And 
how hard was it to take soul food and your own version of it, right? Because it's not necessarily all classic. How hard was it to think through that as a challenge? It wasn't that hard. And I, I think that credit is given to, I was still in culinary school while I was doing this menu. So I'm still getting like constant inspiration. Like if I had like a tasting with Ravi, I think we did like two tastings a week, maybe like six recipes a week, you know, and I would go to school the next day, like, and ask my chef instructors, like, how do I do this? Or like, what's like the perfect frying batter? Or like, you know, kind of like picking their brains, picking my mom's brain as well. But I think as far as like replacing like the animal fats and summing out the butter, summing out the milk, the cheese, eggs like that, like that's just food science. And that's something that I learned very quickly in culinary school. Like if I want to substitute an egg, I can use aquafaba. If I want to substitute butter, I can use coconut oil. Milk, there's like tons of plant-based milks out there. So I that part wasn't hard. I think the plating was hard and making sure that every dish on the menu would sell. Like we didn't, I didn't want like a filler. I wanted like 10 things on a menu that everybody would love. And I think that that has been like received on like the customers. And what type of things are you spending your time on aside from, I guess, you know, obviously cooking and some promotion for the restaurant? Um, outside of that, I think I'm very, very, very like big on my self-care routine. <laughs> like I just don't play about it. So if I'm not in a restaurant, it's my day off. Like I have like certain things that I do to kind of give me a reset and give me like peace of mind. I'll get a massage, like I'll get my hair done, my nails done. I'll get like a colonic. I'll go to the spa. I'll go to my chiropractor. Like just all types of things to make sure that like I'm in alignment to be the best person that I can be so that I can be a great chef. Is there something that made you aware of this idea of making sure you take care of yourself? Because I think that it's hard for people to accept and then it's harder for them to do. Uh, But sometimes there's a precipitating point where you're like, ah, you know what, if I don't take care of myself, like not good things happen. I think for me, it was definitely like the passing of my partner because, you know, obviously like when it first happened, I wasn't thinking about like self-care and self-love. I was just kind of like living in this box. So I think that kind of like shifted my whole perspective of life and time because, you know, you always think you have more time with people. You always think, oh, like I'll call this person tomorrow or like we'll catch up next week. But like time is not actually guaranteed and we're not in charge of that clock, unfortunately. So I think going through that, I felt like I was a zombie for like three months because I wasn't doing anything. And like my health quickly started to kind of like deteriorate. And once I got out of that funk and I kind of like got back to like a healthy routine and like I started paying attention to myself and like listening to my body a bit more, those lessons that I learned during that time, I still apply to my everyday life. I'm so like in tune with myself and like my body. Like I know when something's off, like I know when I need to like take a break, spend time in solitude to just like think or like empty out my brain. Or like, I know when I need to like meditate or stretch or like certain herbal supplements and things like that. So it's like a very unfortunate thing that happened, but I try to find like the positives out of like every single situation is like oh like this is something that I learned from this situation that I can apply to my life. So I always end um, the podcast 
asking my guest to pay it forward, give a shout out broadly to someone who you admire, who you think more people need to know about. And I wonder who your shout out broadly would be. Okay, so <laughs> she's going to kill me, but hopefully not. Um, so my shout out is going to be to Chef Ajua Kito. She is an amazing, amazing, amazing chef. Um, she has her own company called Soulful uh, Pantry, where she does like a lot of private catering. Um, and she focuses on both vegan plant-based cuisine with like a focus with uh, Ghanaian culture. She is like my go-to person for like vegan African cuisine because that's something I'm not really like tapped into that world. So I'm like so thankful to try uh, some of her foods every now and then. Well, I can't wait to go check her out. I can't wait to see you again on 7th Street. Thank you so much for joining me, Shunari. I really enjoyed our conversation. And thank you all for listening. And we'll be back again with another Woman Who Inspires. Speaking Broadly is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.